0: Welcome to the Clifford Chance podcast, where our experts discuss pressing issues and trends faced by the business world today. This is the latest of our real time podcast series, which focuses on real estate. My name is Dan Needle. I'm a partner here at Clifford Chance. Joining me today is Alice Pay, one of our real estate partners based here in London, who works with financial investors targeting the UK, Europe, and the US. Hello, Dan. We've been discussing for the last few weeks, the last few months, the impact of the different policies the various political parties in the UK have, which they're presenting to the public in the general election. We've looked at the policies that affect tax. We've looked at Labour's nationalisation policy. And today we're looking at Labour's proposed policies on real estate. I think it's probably fair to say the other parties don't have much in the way of policies of real estate. So we'll be talking, focusing, I think, entirely on Labour. Alice. I mean, of the Labour Party's real estate policies, which do you think are going to be most relevant for financial investors and for our clients as a whole?
1: So, look, I would say, I mean, housing is front and centre of Labour Party policy, uh, and that's no surprise whatsoever, uh, given all the commentary um, and uh, announcements that were made prior to the to the policy being issued. Um, The three areas, I think, that would be of particular interest are uh, the changes and the policies proposed in the private rented sector, um, the policies that will touch upon the ground rent sector. And actually, there's quite a lot around development and regeneration. Shall Uh, we
0: start with the private rented sector then?
1: Why not? Um, So on the private rented sector, just just by way of backdrop, it's only really in the last five to six years that we've seen large-scale institutional investors uh, investing uh, in this sector. And, and as a result, we've seen the sector expand very rapidly since. And what underpins these investments is the assured shorthold tenancy, and the key features of which are no-fault evictions and the ability to uh, set and keep market rents. And actually, the two are very much aligned in order to keep market rents. Um, Now, interestingly, all three parties Uh, are proposing some changes in this area. Um, I would say probably Labour goes furthest, but uh, all three do have some proposals. And and in particular, the areas that they're targeting are the security of tenure piece. So the idea of no-fault evictions uh, seems to offend. And so Labour want want open-ended tenancies to stop no-fault evictions and to discourage it. The Tories want to abolish it altogether. And, and the Liberal Democrats are looking to promote longer tenancies of three years or more. Um, likewise, the other area is rent controls, where labour policy is to cap uh, annual rent rises by um, inflation and indeed to give cities uh, the additional power to cap them even further or even lower, so to speak. Um, the Tories don't touch upon rent controls. But the Liberal Democrats are also seeking to have inflation
0: linked annual rent rises. And I guess it's a combination of changes to security of tenure. And rent controls, which would make life economically much more difficult for institutional landlords. Well, that's yeah exactly right.
1: And Labour are going even further because not only do do they have, are they seeking these policies, but but furthermore, they're looking to introduce further standards and regulation. So there'll be a new minimum standard for private rented properties, a sort of annual MOT, um, with tough sanctions for landlords who do not meet those minimum standards.
0: I mean, in a sense, that. Less of a problem for institutional landlord than it is for just a, a small business owner or a private individual who's a part time landlord. Exactly right. Yeah, in in fact, point. institutional landlords might even welcome something which creates a more level playing field for the sector.
1: Perhaps, perhaps. Although there will be a process, and there will be extra red tape that that you know any landlord will have to go through, and it's it is primarily directed at the the, the bad landlords, which which is what Labour Labour's that's the vision, and that's that's the um, the prism that all three
0: parties are looking at this at. But that same prism. Has led policymakers, I think, across the parties to welcome the rise of institutional landlords.
1: Exactly right, and the interesting thing is that this is this is likely a lot of the commentary and a lot of um, yeah exactly a lot of the commentary is that this is going to um, decrease institutional investment uh, at a time when we were seeing more of it. But the strange thing is that that's likely to lead to poorer housing conditions rather than better housing conditions
0: and we're straying on to a question of economics which as mere lawyers we probably shouldn't comment on but i will do anyway <laughs> which is that rent control is often said to be one of those areas where economists left and right universally agree that rent controls are counterproductive and reduce both the quality and suppliers of housing stock nevertheless as a piece of populist politics it's often hard for politicians to resist Exactly.
1: And then there's been a lot of things, uh, there's been a lot of uh, noise around this with uh, our London mayor who uh,
0: recently uh, raised the same points. I I suppose we should mention one policy which isn't in the election manifestos, which was Labour's initial suggestion you'd create a right to buy for tenants of private landlords to be able to purchase the freehold at a discount to market. that's gone
1: it has that was the shadow chancellor's announcement which uh, uh, was very radical Um, and that hasn't appeared in the policy document that's exactly right
0: so that's that's then our private rental piece what next ground rents ground rents so
1: um labor is targeting leasehold reform uh, again, this isn't just it isn't just Labour who's targeting this. In fact, the Conservative Party has also been looking at this. Because there's been a load of quite bad behaviour. Exactly. Um, originally, uh, this this sector, there wasn't bad behaviour in the sense that originally there was um, low rents, low ground rents. That 100 quid would, a year. 100 quid a year that would rise in line with inflation. And then developers more recently would it be fair to say we're we're getting a bit more greedy and so uh, the provisions in these leases allowed for rents to double every 10 years and the classic example that's cited is the birmingham flat owner who discovered her ground rent was not 250 pounds but was actually 8000 pounds a year uh, and it would keep doubling so that in 95 years time she'd be paying 8 million
0: and i'm guessing she couldn't sell that house
1: exactly and so it was no longer sellable houses of that nature were no longer sellable and you couldn't get a mortgage either
0: and some developers started extending that accelerated grand rent idea beyond the traditional world of leasehold flats into freehold houses exactly um, the government there was a big scandal
1: lots of lots of um, articles in the Daily Mail and the like. And then the government had a a large consultation in 2017. And a number of the um, institutional investors and developers in this sector Signed a public pledge um, that they would uh, seek out their uh, seek out any of these doublers, so to speak, and change those leases so that they would be inflation linked. And actually, the sector has been on pause somewhat, waiting to
0: see what the outcome of the consultation would be. Because I mean, we we and I expect most, if not all, of our clients don't really hold much of a candle for anyone who structures rents to reach 8 million pounds within 50 years but the question is if you're attacking that do you end up affecting more traditional ground rent structures
1: exactly right and what when you look at the labor policies on this it's it's likely to see the demise without being too dramatic i think it's likely to see the demise of these ground rent transactions because what their their policies are essentially that you end ground rent leases altogether for new leasehold homes now actually this is also a conservative party policy too Um, but Labour are going further because they are proposing a policy which would have a simple formula so that the leaseholders would buy their freehold at an affordable price and so what you're going to see is a likely rise of of these leaseholders buying their freeholds
0: because at the moment when they buy it broadly speaking the the value is split 50-50 between between the leaseholders and the freeholders. So it can be quite expensive. It can
1: be quite expensive. That's exactly the point because you're taking into account the ground rent and the level of the ground rent. And so you're looking at the investment when you're buying, you're looking at the landlord's investment and interest when the tenant
0: is actually buying the landlord out. So there's then three separate things they're doing. The first is no ground rent going forward. Okay, that's clearly not going to prejudice anything out there already. Second is a easier cheaper franchise enfranchisement for leaseholders and the third is changing the ground rent on existing leases
1: well it's interesting because the pre-manifesto commentary was that they, that's exactly what they would do that they would cap it at 250 pounds a year but it's not mentioned in the policy document
0: maybe they've realized that there are some um, how should one put it uh, uh, unexpected and unwanted consequences of doing that for example there have been a large number of ground rents which have been packaged up and bought disproportionately by pension funds. Exactly. Who are going to be significantly out of pocket if those deals turn to chocolate. Second, there are some people, take for example, tenants of very expensive multi tens of millions of pounds London flats, paying hundreds of thousands in ground rent, and is it really the job of a Labour government to, to save them hundreds of thousands of pounds a year? Right. Exactly so that one if not gone is down peddled a bit exactly right yes so so that probably means then more of a slow burn issue for the sector in terms of potential ground rents being bought out rather than a big bang that we would have seen if you'd had an immediate 250 count. Yes,
1: their original their original proposals were radical and immediately impactful, whilst, as you say, this will just phase out more gently uh, uh, as, a, as a sector and as an investment. OK, so what, what's the third one? So development and regeneration. Um, and this is an area where I'd say that um, you see much more in the Labour, uh, Labour Party policy document compared to the other, um, the other parties. I mean, all major parties are pledging to build houses and accelerate house building. But Labour policy has significant plans around re- uh, development and regeneration, which are likely to be of great interest to our developer clients. So for example, Labour are proposing to set up a new English sovereign land trust with the powers to buy land more cheaply uh, for low-cost housing.
0: More cheaply from who? Landowners. You know, that could be private landowners, whomever. What does more cheaply mean? Does it mean buying for less than market price? Well, this is the interesting thing, is that the, the, the policy document itself doesn't
1: say... But when you look at the commentary prior to the policy document what they referred to was changing the cpo powers so that compulsory purchase order exactly right and and uh, so that you take away the hope value when you're making your calculation around the um compensation so all you do is you look at the existing use value Rather than the planning, the the benefits of the planning permission that that land could have.
0: So you have a piece of farmland worth approximately nothing, and if planning was obtained for residential use, the the value is going to skyrocket. Exactly. At the moment, the CPO compensation is going to anticipate some, not all, but 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 some of that rise in value. But you could change it so, in fact, the compensation only reflects the current use. Exactly right.
1: And, and you know, Labour are t- trying to take out the inflationary element of land within, you know, the cost of building housing. Now, as I say, that's not actually explicitly in the policy document. But, um, you know, perhaps that's what it's alluding to, to these, these changes to CPO powers. And they're also proposing that developers face a new use it or lose it tax on stalled housing developments and so this is to try and discourage and prevent land banking. Um, There's a big
0: narrative around land banking, isn't there? The the idea that there's lots of land which developers are just sitting on in a speculative way, not developing, waiting for values to go up. Is there truth in that? There is there is some truth in that,
1: uh, and and you know it's business, right? You 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 need to make you need to make the investment work. So they often sit on it until the right time. You know they will look at a cycle and decide when is the appropriate time to develop. Um, so there is some truth in that. Um, But uh, the policy, again, the policy doesn't go into detail as to how they would do this. But again, prior to the policy document, uh, there was some commentary about using um, compulsory sales orders. Um, And this is where um, essentially you would have um, it would apply to uh, land left
0: derelict, or vacant. Which local authorities in principle can do now, but is very rarely done? Exactly. Yes. But so so, so they're moving away from that towards a tax instead.
1: That seems to be the case. Again, there isn't a great deal of detail, but they, that, that seems to be the case.
0: I mean, w- w- when I'm not doing podcast interviews, I'm a tax lawyer <laughs> and, and professionally, I'm strongly in favour of poorly defined, highly ambitious taxes with no precedent anywhere else in Europe, which I, which I think this would be must be questions as to how it would work. And then and it's light on detail on
1: a number of these policies uh, that that, w- that would be fair to say. Um, they're also targeting as part of their policies, the ending of the easy and speedy conversion of office blocks to homes using the t- permitted development rights, which
0: was a conservative initiative of five years ago, or something exactly, like that. to
1: try and to try and speed up housing development. Sorry, so, so, so why are they stopping it? Well, I think that the view is that there is, that it's led to poor housing, that actually it's, it's not regulated sufficiently. And as a result, the standard is very, very poor. So they want to try
0: and reverse that. But, so you could reverse that by changing the standards, introducing standards. But if you're simply reversing the permitted development rights, that means I guess, and then to conversion see, of flats, flats to homes exactly. in the of towns. It doesn't
1: seem to be perhaps not the most efficient way of, of tackling the issue.
0: Because local authorities have historically hated those conversions because they normally want to want to maintain office blocks because of the because um, of the business rates that generates. Oh, well, exactly. Yes. And permitted development rights for rate essentially override that. So if that goes, it's probably not too speculative to think you won't see many conversions of those office buildings. Exactly. Um, and then
1: they're also proposing to give funding and powers you like this one. Funding and powers to councils to buy back homes from private landlords. That seems to be reversing um what was happening in Thatcher's government of that, that you were able to buy your, your council home.
0: Is this buying back at a discount or buying back? From they, don't market value? they don't say. They don't say. Um It's a tricky area, housing, because there's often a conflict between the policies which, on their face, improve the quality of housing stock. But actually, when you think it through and look at second and third order consequences, reduce both the quality and the supply. I mean, I can see that's certainly the case for rent controls. Most economists would agree. And it seems to be the case for a number of these other issues, too. I I wonder how much thinking into these second and third order consequences Labour would go through if they ended up in government.
1: that, That would be interesting to see. Um, and finally, I, I'm, I'll just touch on regeneration and and their policy, which is which is quite a radical one, that that regeneration would only be permitted with the consent of residents, uh, and local residents would be given first dibs
0: on new homes. How do you define regeneration? Well, um, it's <laughs> we, we don't know. It, it, it's. Uh... Regeneration is one of those irregular verbs, isn't it? Um, I, I am improving the quality of a local community. You are regenerating. He is throwing people out of their well-established community. It's all its all in the eye of the beholder. Yeah, so uh, uh, you have to wonder if this is a policy that would actually end up as a concrete measure or is there merely as political noise? Possibly. So I'm trying to think if we've covered everything. We, we, we've covered the effect on the private rented sector. We've covered ground rents and we've covered these broader planning type issues anything else
1: um well i suppose the other thing of note um is that uh, all three parties interestingly are targeting um non-residents and um surcharges on stamp duty for the acquisition uh, of
0: of uh, property. Yes, this was announced three years ago by the government, and nothing's happened. Yeah, but
1: now it's in. I mean, it's in the conservative policy. They're proposing a three yeah. percent surcharge, um, and uh, uh, the Labour Party are proposing to introduce a levy on overseas companies.
0: Interestingly, not individuals. Oh, this is the Labour offshore property levy. Mm-hmm. Um, this was in their 2017 manifesto, and they they don't seem to have noticed that there's no tax advantage to an offshore corporate in holding UK real estate. So. If you introduce this levy, no one's going to hold UK real estate through an offshore corporate and no one will pay the levy. So I think we in the Institute of Fiscal Studies agree the expected revenue from this tax will be pound zero. One of my favourite current proposals. So we've got that, and then we've got, yes, the the Conservative stamp duty on foreign residents, which we can speculate. One reason it may have been stalled is there are EU law obstacles discriminating against non-residents in that way. Brexit may enable that levy to come in.
1: Perhaps. So you, and, but they, and they do use the example of other countries that do do this, like Denmark, for example, and others. And so,
0: yeah. So it may be possible even if we stay in the EU. Perhaps. So thank you very much, Alice, for our canter through Labour's and a little bit of the other parties' policies on real estate and their impact on the sector. Thank you very much to those of you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you are interested in further detail about the election, the policies of the political parties, real estate in general, or indeed anything that may be of interest to Clifford Chance clients, please do subscribe to our podcasts by visiting cliffordchance.com or by following us on LinkedIn. Thank you very much. Goodbye.